You are entering the Freedom Hut. The 2018 midterms are done. The fight for 2020 begins. Democrats gained control of the House of Representatives. The Republicans gained a few seats in the Senate. This is now an all-out political war, my friend. Let's talk about the showdown that begins now. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It was a pretty good night last night, all things considered. Republicans broke with history and were able to uh, prevent the Democrats from overrunning them. Were able to not just keep their lead in the Senate, but add a few seats to it. As I'm sure you know, the whole country's been, well, most of the country's been thinking about this since the results came in last night. I know it's not not breaking news for you. The Democrats win the House. We know that. We've been aware of that now for a number of hours. But the implications for this are are profound. Um, And I will get into them. Uh, There's some very important breakdown of this we have to do together first. Why was it that the Democrats did not have what was expected? Oh, what was expected again? That's right. A, a, a blue wave was what now they're saying, oh, nobody really expected that. Uh-uh. We, we remember. We know that there was going to be a blue wave. We remember that that's, um, that was the way that this was supposed to go. And then last night, sure enough, we had to hear this. Play 11. Democrats did hope for a big blue wave. That is not happening. There's no blue wave. Is it a blue wave? What do you want to call it? It may not be a blue wave. It's a rainbow wave. It's not a wave. It's not a wave. It is not going to be that blue wave landslide. It's not going to be a wave. This blue wave that clearly does not seem to be materializing. I don't know whether we want to call it a wave, but it's a blue move, a blue ripple. Uh, you can't call it a wave if you don't have a big statewide win anywhere. How do you call it a wave if you don't win Florida? How do you call it a wave if you don't win Missouri? Yeah, it's not a wave. <laughs> so, so it would be bad to call it one. Uh, and those who are saying, well, that wasn't the expectation. Uh-uh, we have, we have this thing called the Internet, so we can actually track down what they were saying. Play 16. The wave is building. The question is just how big. We're standing on a beach looking out at the ocean, and we're seeing what looks like a really, really, really big wave. Is this going to be a Democratic wave or a Democratic tsunami? A blue wave. There's a wave out there. Are we going to see a wave? The wave election. A blue wave? A blue wave. A Democratic wave. It's going to be a Democratic wave. An anti-Trump wave. There is a wave coming. A tidal wave coming. Likely that the Democrats have the blue wave. This blue wave that has gone across this country. It's like a battle cry of a blue wave in November. The blue wave is happening. Okay, you get, you get the blue enough, wave. enough. We get the so, idea, right? They were all saying it. They were all saying it, but it didn't happen. Now they say they didn't say it because if all of them were so wrong, maybe there was some bias at work. Maybe there was a reason that they were off in their calibrations. Maybe it's not just that this was a a, a surprise to them based on their analysis, but maybe they were more hopeful than anything else that there would be a wave. Um, But there was not. Now, 
a few very important takeaways from last night. First of all, Trump is still highly effective at campaigning for other people. It's not just that 2016 was a Trump election and we got obviously the House and the Senate and there was this moment of a revolt against the elites and and against leftism and the leftward tilt of the country that had gone on almost unabated for eight years of the Obama administration. It wasn't just that. It was also that last night we find that President Trump is effective. His base is still with him. There is still hope in the agenda and that it will continue to be implemented. And the Democrats put a tremendous amount of money and activism and organization and celebrities and all this stuff into it. At the end of the day, this is the best they could do. At a time when they're telling us that the the country is under threat down to its very foundations, they have been proclaiming, and those of you who listen to the show know, because I play their crazy clips on the air, that this democracy is under threat, that Trump is undermining our institutions, that he's a racist, a misogynist, a rapist, a fascist, a Russian agent, all this crazy stuff, and an imbecile, and should be removed by the 25th Amendment. They, They just spew all this hateful nonsense and then tell us that the president is hateful. They say all of this and then turn around and pretend that they're the ones who are being adults. But in that environment, this is the best they could do? Losing even more control of the Senate and, you know, winning winning a majority, but by no means a massive defining majority in the House of Representatives? What does that tell you about their judgment when it comes to where this country really is? What does it tell you about their ability to be taken seriously, about the Democrat and the left's right to be thought of as real voices in the national conversation that aren't just overcome with envy and frustration and rage and delusion. All these big races we were told about last night, Gillum, Abrams, O'Rourke, oh my gosh, all these superstars and winning, lost. They all lost. Someone tell me, by the way, why is it that young, telegenic, charismatic, African-American former fighter pilot John James in Michigan received probably one one one-hundredth of the media coverage leading up to the election that also young, telegenic, charismatic African-American Gillum received in Florida? Oh, that's right. One's a Republican, the other's a Democrat. A leftist at that. I mean, a real Bernie Sanders-style Democrat. But as much as they don't want to admit it, last night was a wake-up call for Democrats. This is going to be even harder than they thought. They had to assume, whether they were willing to say so publicly or not, that the two years of Russia collusion, conspiracy mongering, the two years of Trump is a white nationalist, he's speaking in dog whistles all the time, this just unrelenting negative media coverage that that had to have changed perceptions by about people who are open to new information, right? It just You would assume by information osmosis over a period of time, people would say, well, I mean, there must be something wrong with Trump, right? Look at what they're saying. It's all negative. It's all terrible. 
oh no, a lot of us know that they are the fake news. And they are the enemy of truth. A phrase that you've heard probably first here on this show and now other people have picked up too. They are the enemy of truth. They undermine truth and honesty and integrity and authenticity every day. And in fact, I think they embrace it now because they find it to be useful. They view themselves as in an all-out war against the President of the United States, and so anything that is another weapon in that arsenal must be embraced no matter how disgraceful and no matter how damaging. So now I sit here and think about what we're going to be subjected to by Democrats going forward. It is going to be ugly. Because last night, the American people and the Democrats and the leftists' minds, they were a disappointment. The leftists are disappointed in America right now. They thought that there would be a repudiation of Trump. And there is no way they can say that it was a repudiation of Trump. In fact, given what happens historically, when people just want change and the people in power that have disappointed individuals who felt like they would get more willing are willing to change and just want to try the other side, right? There's all these trends, all these dynamics that favor the Democrats. And with that going on, to lose Senate seats in the balance and to pick up whatever it is, 30 or so seats in the House. I mean, some of this is still, there's some, I think there's some recounts being talked about. Some of this is still outstanding. Um, That, to me, is anything but some kind of huge smackdown of Trump and what he has done. In fact, it is really an affirmation of the political movement that you and I have been supporting now since the day Trump took office. Well, many of you since the day Trump announced for president. and You were, you were visionaries. You saw it coming long before many of the rest of us did. So... Last night was a good defensive maneuver at a time when the Democrats were inevitably going to be on offense. It was a stalemate. If this was a boxing match, you would say that it was a split decision. And everything now points to 2020. And it's not just the people in the political class and, uh, you know, journos and analysts and all the, uh, all the rest that are already thinking about 2020. Because everything that you see now until then, until that next election day, is going to be colored by this fight between Democrats and Republicans. There is very little now of real substance that the president is going to be able to do that involves Congress. We'll talk a bit more during the show today about people talk health care, maybe infrastructure package. Yeah, I mean. You know, anything is anything is possible, sure. Anything could happen, but I don't think anything will happen. You will see a ferocious anti-Trump resistance that is able now, because they finally have control of one branch of government, is able to indulge all of their wildest fantasies about Trump-Russia collusion is able to be vindictive, seek to settle scores, 
and it is going to be nasty. It is going to be a very tough fight. Now, I want to tell you about why I think last night happened the way that it did. And obviously, for me, the, the two biggest factors were, well, you could say three. One, the economy. Two, Trump. Three, the Kavanaugh effect. Let's talk about the Kavanaugh effect, and then I'll address where all this is going. And, of course, the resignation, requested resignation of my buddy Jeff Sessions as attorney general. I'm going to miss Jeff. I liked him. I know some of you are disappointed he didn't do more on Russia collusion, but he recused himself. Once you recuse yourself, you can't unrecuse yourself. <laughs> so, uh, but Jeff Sessions, as you know, was out. That was the big breaking news uh, that, that happened later on today. Trump is he's cleaning house after the election, just as we all expected him to. But that has important implications. That's, that gives us a sense of where things are going, too. Mueller is going to be a name you hear a lot more in the weeks and months ahead, probably months, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, the Russia collusion investigation is going to go back at the top of the headlines again. It's going to be a whole shift. We should prepare for it. But I do want to take a moment when we come back to just discuss Kavanaugh and what that meant in this election and also what it tells us about what the fight ahead will look like. Stay with me, team. We'll be right back. Uh, any observations on the Kavanaugh effect? Very helpful. Yeah, I think the um, Republican sort of core voters in the states that were critical to us were highly offended by the questioning of the presumption of innocence and the tactics. And I think it was like an adrenaline shot. We were worried about lack of intensity on our side, and I think the Kavanaugh fight certainly provided that and was extremely helpful. It's noteworthy that the one Democrat in a red state who survived voted for Kavanaugh, Joe Manchin. The Kavanaugh effect was one of the biggest lessons of the 2018 midterm. And as you know, I, I speak with particular pride on this issue as somebody with all of your support who was as vocal as I could be and in contact with the White House and people on Capitol Hill about how we needed to back Kavanaugh, stand strong with Kavanaugh, and that women were lying about him as part of a character assassination, the likes of which, of which this country had really never seen before, at least not in my lifetime. It was appalling. It was painful to watch a good man have his reputation destroyed on such flimsy pretext and such obvious motivation. But, you know, the good news is that normal Americans don't appreciate the ritualized humiliation of a respected husband, father, and jurist, the amusement and political satisfaction of the pink hat maniacs. Justice Kavanaugh, it's good to say it now, isn't it? Not Judge Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh stood strong and he fought back. It's not just that members of the Senate, and thank you, Lindsey Graham, did the right thing for the GOP, in the GOP. It was also that Kavanaugh realized he was backed into a corner and they were about to finish him off. And they were so angry and so full of vitriol and hate about his performance because they knew they were just, they had him. They, they were so close to finishing off Kavanaugh in front of the whole country, in front of over 20 million people watching those sham hearings, that embarrassment to the Senate. And he, 
in front of his wife and his children, all of his colleagues and friends, found the strength to stand and fight for his honor and the truth. Because he did that, we now have a conservative constitutionalist sitting on the Supreme Court. And we have a conservative Republican majority in the Senate. If you have any doubt about that, let me just share with you the following. As McConnell said, Joe Manchin, a Democrat, yes, on Kavanaugh, he got reelected in West Virginia last night. But Heidkamp went no on Kavanaugh. She lost in North Dakota. McCaskill, no on Kavanaugh, lost in Missouri. Donnelly, no on Kavanaugh, defeated in Indiana. Voters of, of good conscience and good sense punished cowards in the Senate for doing the wrong thing. And as a result of that, we now have a strong Senate majority and probably lost 10 to 15 fewer House seats because of Kavanaugh. But also, we understand who the enemy is here and how they will fight what they're willing to do. We must understand that Kavanaugh was really just a symptom of the larger disease of all-out personal destruction at the hands of leftists. That is what they now seek to do to regain power. Their arguments are garbage. Their positions are laughable. They claim to embrace science when they reject it. They claim to want to bring more health care to more people and... They don't understand the basic math involved. So how do you think they're going to win? Through a campaign of humiliation and individualized terror, just like what they did to Kavanaugh whenever there is a political motivation for them to do so. Kavanaugh was a harbinger of what is to come, not just in the months ahead, over the next two years. Thank God he stood in fight. And thank heavens for all of you who supported that fight and who voted to support that fight. Tim, we got a couple calls up. Let's get to uh, hear from some of the folks. Charlie in Salisbury, Maryland. What's up, Charlie? Hey, thanks for calling me, or let me call you, Buck. Thank you for hey, calling in. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was listening to a couple uh, deals with uh, uh, Trump's interview with reporters. And one reporter asked him about, you know, uh, the investigation, since Nancy will probably be speaker and stuff like that. And he said, well, you know, we're not done with our investigations. And he named off, you know, like the server and the missing emails and Comey and that. And then the next reporter, I think it was the next or maybe two, two later, that person asked about... Um, Golly, now I get a, a brain fusion. <laughs> yeah, okay, a bunch of different investigations being asked about. Sure, so are you asking me, should Trump do this? Is this the right way to go to essentially tell them that there will be uh, investigatory retaliation in response? I mean, the answer is, yeah, that, that he should tell them that. Because, for example, the, the Hillary Clinton email investigation, she wasn't cleared. They just chose not to bring charges against her. They could reopen yeah. that and look at more more information and, and decide that they might have a different outcome here. So, you know, if the Democrats want to play rough, they should know 
that Trump and the Republicans will play rough in response. And that's the only way. I mean, that's the only way you can deal with the left. If you show any yeah. weakness, they exploit it. The, the second question to him was about declassifying the documents. And they don't understand Trump. He, he's got all the cards. Well, he's, he's held that back. And by the way, I think that people have, you know, including myself, have said, I'm frustrated. I wish he would. I, I asked the president to his face. We had a conversation about it. I asked him, I said, will you, will you release the documents? He said he's going to, but then he got pushed back. And I think he's holding it back because he wants to see, you know, the release of the stuff that he's got, I think, would have a lot. It would be a lot of egg on the face of the DOJ, the FBI. It would look really bad. But. Better to, to hold it until you need it. And he might wait until the Mueller report comes out and then as a response to the Mueller report, <laughs> drop that. Now, think about how that goes. Right. So. Uh, so, you know, he's seen Nancy Pelosi's face when he drops that. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, but you think about this when, when people always talk about Trump playing 5D chess. I mean, I actually used to play a little bit of chess growing up. I was OK. It wasn't very good. Uh, but you don't want to pull your queen out too early. You know, and and I think in this whole Russia collusion investigation, the queen that Trump has, so to speak, is that he can declassify this stuff and just show what a sham the whole thing is. So Absolutely. let it play out. Right. Let Mueller do what he's doing. The moment that Absolutely. all of a sudden Mueller starts trying to subpoena Trump's uh, you know, financial records or something, then all of a sudden he goes, oh, OK, now let's let people know what's really going on here. So I, I think he's trying to be strategic about it. And I do think there are concerns about. Uh, third party intel, essentially our, our foreign partners giving us information that we don't we don't want to burn them. Right. It's like a journalist doesn't want to burn a source, although journalists will burn sources. They, they make a big deal out of that. But depends on what side of the aisle the source is on. Thanks for calling in, Charlie. Dean up in Boston. What's up, Boston? Hey, brother Buck. How you so doing? Three things I personally took away from last night. The first is I noticed that the old GOP that all stepped aside, the big mass, as soon as the media told them they were going to lose years ago, they said, OK, we're leaving. So the recognition wasn't out there. Their war chest money wasn't out there. So still we did as well as we did without all of that. The second part was we sent out a president with a record in two years, and that's all we sent out. They sent they put the Clintons in the closet, brought out Obama, Oprah, Hollywood, all of the money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from the mega donors, the media, and still that's all they came up with. So now today they have to start running to 2020. You can't turn on the record of last night and go back to your mega donors and say, oh, we need another half a billion dollars for two years from now. At, at some point, these, these people are going to say, I don't know. I don't know. This, this, I think I'm back in the wrong horse here. Maybe I'll just sit this next one out. Well, Dean, think about it. They spent $70 million to lose one Senate seat in Texas. Yep. Or I mean, to lose yep. the race. I mean, what is that? This is crazy. Seventy million dollars. That's just well, all going to media buys, conference. basically. So they but saturated the Texas media market with Beto, Beto. Oh, we need Beto. And then he loses Ted Cruz. By the way, it was too close. Ted Cruz, you know, I I've been saying he's going with my 10. Ted, Ted needs to step up his game a little bit. He needed to make an example of Beto trying to trying to sneak into the Republicans kitchen there and, and steal a seat. I mean, uh-uh. He can't let that he can't let that one go. So I'm a little I'm a little disappointed with uh, with the margin of victory for Ted. Yeah, he won. I'm happy for him. But he should have won by at least six or seven points. I mean, to win by I think he won by three, or maybe four. Not enough. Not enough against a Beto, the billionaire who is a fake Latino, essentially. And that's how he's running. The whole thing is just is just bizarre. 
Uh, but Dean, there'll be a lot of money, unfortunately. There's a lot of liberal billionaires who are trying to—they're trying to buy their their uh, their passage to Nirvana by you know spending on these leftist candidates. Thank you for calling in from Boston, my friend. You know, Kellyanne Conway made a very uh, very important point. The media, you know, the, the media has such a funny relationship with her. They can't have her on air enough, but they're always like, oh, I don't know about Kellyanne Conway. You know, at CNN and and all these other places. But Trump did make the difference, and Kellyanne made that case. Play three. There's no question that his presence on the campaign trail made the difference. In fact, he went five for five in just his stops from Sunday and Monday alone. I was with him yesterday. There's three stops on the Monday. All three of the candidates he stumped for in three very different states for governorship of Ohio and also two Senate seats in Indiana and Missouri, both of which are pickups from the Democrats. And I think when a, a president in power has the Senate, it's easier to get through judicial nominations. You see that's one of been big mark of his success in the first two years in office are these judicial nominations getting through 26 in the U.S. Circuit Courts and of course to the United States Supreme Court and also the executive noms. The House looks like it will go Democratic but not by the large margins that have happened in the past. Uh, we know that President Obama suffered 63 losses in the House in 2010. President Clinton 54 losses in 1994, his first midterms. And these presidents, these two-term presidents found a way to work with the party out of power on things that matter to the country. President. This president is prepared to do that, to work across well, the aisle. The president, the economy, and Kavanaugh. That is the the triumvirate, if you will. That is the trio, the, the secret to the relative success of what happened last night. And the good news is that the president is clearly going to still be who he is for for the uh, the stretch now between where we are and where we're going in the in the presidential election. And then I'm hoping the economy continues to grow. There may be a reset, but as long as it's not a catastrophic reset right before the election, we'll be fine because the president's policies do promote growth. The president's policies are better than Obama's. I mean, this is this is the good news is we're right. But then also Kavanaugh, remember that we are the side of honor and integrity and remember that the other side is not. And that is who we are facing. That is what we are up against. Do not forget Kavanaugh. Not now, not a year from now. We'll be right back. Oh, I think oversight is important in the sense that uh, right now, the system of checks and balances is non-existent. I mean, look at all the cabinet secretaries that have been involved in wrongdoing and not an ounce of oversight from the Republicans. I mean, that, that's unconscionable. This is taxpayer money that is being wasted. So we and, can expect and we hearings. Need a, oh, I, I'm sure we'll expect hearings because we, we have a, a, a constitutional duty um, of oversight in the, in the U.S. House. What would Senate Republicans do in the event that the House Democrats try to obtain President Trump's tax records? Well, you, you know, the, the whole issue of presidential harassment is interesting. I remember when we tried it in the late 90s. Uh, we impeached President Clinton. His numbers went up and ours went down. And we underperformed in the next election. So the Democrats in the House will have to decide just how much presidential harassment they think is good strategy. I'm not so sure it'll work for them. I think Mitch is right. I think McConnell's on to something there that the American people overall will be displeased with the obvious political 
harassment and legal harassment that we can expect from the Democrats, from the hashtag resistance crowd. That doesn't mean they're not going to do it, though. Doesn't mean that the plan is not for the left to just go all out with everything they can to not just expose, you know, wrongdoing. I mean, they're going to say it's about that. It's, It's not about that at all. It's just going to be what can they do to inflict irritation, anxiety, and possibly pain on the president and those around him. And that's what they will do. This is why the Kavanaugh effect, I would notice, is also so important. What we saw with Kavanaugh was the unadulterated, distilled, pure version of left-wing bile that they will unleash on anybody who stands in their way when they have the opportunity. When they really have a target, there is nothing they won't say. There's not. There's nothing they won't do. There is no level to which the Democrats will not stoop if they think that it is in their political interests. If they could try to turn Kavanaugh into a ruined gang rapist, if they could try to destroy his life based on the evidence that they presented there, which was zero evidence, what do you think when they have subpoena power in the House of Representatives they're going to do to everybody around Trump, anybody who's ever been close to Trump, anybody who's supportive of Trump publicly in a way that they want to make an example of them? This is go- They're going to turn into a smear machine. Get ready for Pelosi-led Soviet-style show trials. That's what's coming for the next two years. That's why when the president today said, okay, well, the Senate also has subpoena power. So you want want to play games, we can play games. He's completely right. We have to raise the temperature in response to the heat we're going to get from the House of Representatives. There's no other way. They have to feel the pressure too. There has to be a punishment for their bad behavior or else they're just going to run wild. There's nothing that they will... Uh, the, there's no ethics that will stop them, right? There's no sense of duty to country or anything else. They just they think that their duty, and they also have a very personal investment in it because they feel undermined by Trump, his success, and his very existence. They think that their their duty to country, if you will, is to destroy the president and the presidency. Everything else is secondary to that mission. They've made this clear. Now they may go after the president's finances. And that's going to be a, a particularly interesting uh, interesting fight because what does that have to do with anything? They may go after his tax returns. Why? Just to try to humiliate him. Keep in mind that some of the same journos who tell us all that we must see Trump's tax returns, even though they're under audit, were completely fine with, we could not see, and still to this day have never seen Barack Obama's college records. Why? Why? It's not because I think he's a secret Kenyan or, you know, what a Muslim or any of those things that have been said. It's because I think he was a mediocre student at best. And I think that they didn't want people to know that the president who was supposed to be the greatest genius to have ever lived in this country was just kind of an okay student. 
and got to go to the best schools imaginable as a just kind of an okay student. That's my theory. No one can say I'm wrong because they don't know. But I'd, I'd be willing to bet a little bit of money on that one. But nobody was uh, trying, nobody in the, in the media at least was clamoring for the release of Obama's college records, but they are clamoring for the release of, and they'll use legal processes to get it if they can, Trump's tax returns. And they'll weaponize the government. I mean, they'll weaponize the bureaucracy. If that's what it takes for them, that's what they'll do. So we should just be ready for what's coming. Kavanaugh, yes, save the Senate. Kavanaugh not only has given us a great Supreme Court justice for decades to come. And when I say we thank Kavanaugh, I don't mean just for being there. I mean for standing up and fighting. But and he, he gave us that Supreme Court seat. He saved the Senate for the Republicans, too. I, I have there's no doubt in my mind that is what happened. But let's not forget that lesson of Kavanaugh. It's not just applicable to the left is crazy, don't give them power in the midterms, although that was certainly important. It's also important going forward that we remember how the left plays the game, what depths they will sink to, how completely unmoored they will be in their attacks, the perversion of truth that they will engage in, the the smears, the character assassination, the kind of personal destruction that, that I mean this, and I don't say this to, to exaggerate. What they did to Kavanaugh could have driven somebody without his support network, without such a, a, a devoted and strong wife and family and friends around him. What the Democrats did to Kavanaugh could have brought a person to suicide. And here's what I think you should all know about that. If something like that had happened, There are many on the left, many Democrats who, whether they would have publicly said so or not, would have felt that there was justice in that. That's how sick these maniacs are. That's how evil they are. And now they have subpoena power in the House. Now the left-wing Pelosiites are going to be in a position to use the force of law to the same ends. Subpoena members of Trump's family, Try to, you know, try to get Ivanka on the stand. Try to get Donald Trump Jr. before a committee. Try to pull their finances. Try, you know, go after other members of the Trump family you don't even really ever hear about. Just to create damage and mayhem and destruction and terror. Because they can't beat Trump. That's the underlying terror for the left that last night was made so clear. They can't beat him in politics. They will not be able to mount a candidacy that can overcome Trump. The only way they can beat Trump on the field of political battle is to cheat, is to get him before he can take the field, is to go after his family. They can't just face him and win in a fair fight. They're going to be underhanded, and we're going to live through this, my friends. So yes, we're going to have to keep our shields high together for the next two years. It's coming. Everything, his taxes, the Mueller probe, Russia hysteria, all that, it's coming back in a big way. We must be prepared. I love Black Rifle coffee. You know this. I tell you about it. I drink Black Rifle every day because it's delicious. I mean, this is really 
high-quality, delicious, roast-to-order, small-batch coffee. I, I can get into some of the flavors if you want. I mean, even when I'm drinking it black, I can really tell the difference. It's just better than other stuff, K-cup or ground, or even if you're a whole bean guy, you like to grind it yourself. The coffee flavors are exceptional, and this is a great American company run by, founded by veterans of the special operations community. These guys kick butt, love freedom, love veterans, love America. So please check them out. This Veterans Day, get your coffee from Black Rifle Coffee and contribute to a company that's actually making a difference in the veteran community. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, one more time, Black Rifle Coffee dot com slash buck the president's agenda isn't going to change regardless of whose party is there we're still going to be uh, an administration that's focused on lowering the taxes growing our economy creating jobs defeating isis remaking the judiciary uh fixing the uh, tremendous opioid crisis that we have i think we can work with democrats on that you know we know what we believe in and we know whose side we're on we came to this movement to pick a fight, a fight on behalf of millions of Americans who are getting ripped off in a rigged economy and ignored by a corrupt government in Washington. We came to this fight for families trying to stretch a paycheck and for people living one moment away from a medical bill that would send them spiraling over a financial cliff. This resistance began with women, and it is being led by women tonight. Take her, Elizabeth Warren, at her word, my friends. The Democrats offer one thing and one thing only for the next two years. Resistance. They are going to wage political war on this president, on this presidency, on conservatives, on the Republican Party, and all who stand with them, all who convert into philosophies of limited government, individual liberty, basic rights enshrined in the Constitution, those people are going to be treated very poorly by the other side. Be ready for it. There is not going to be any comedy. There's not going to be any coming together or uniting. It is, it is laughable. When you hear Nancy Pelosi last night say that maybe there'll be a, a, a bipartisan moment here. Play 14. She actually said this. Pretty amazing. We will strive for bipartisanship. We believe that we have a responsibility to seek common ground where we can. Where we cannot, we must stand our ground, but we must try. And so by part, openness and transparency, accountability, bipartisanship a very important part of how we will go forward there will be none of that really there is not any area that i could even think of or point to where they will work in a bipartisan fashion that will make a difference i mean sure you know they'll, they'll nibble around the edges of some things uh, there's uh, there's some possibility maybe that uh they'll do some Obamacare fixes, which will just mean shoveling some money into some places, and then assume that in 2020 they'll work out what really happens to Obamacare. In fact, Pelosi specifically talked about health care right after the Democrats took the House. Here's what she said, play 17. Uh, voters uh, delivered a resounding verdict 
against congressional Republicans' attacks on Medicare, Medicaid, and the Affordable Care Act and people with pre-existing conditions in districts everywhere in America. They went in a new new direction. Ah, yes. Pre-existing conditions, all we ever hear about. Obamacare is, as I've told you, thousands of pages long. Just because all it does is deal with pre-existing conditions? Of course not. There's a lot more to it than that. It's about the redistribution of wealth via the healthcare system. And it's about putting us on a pathway to single payer, which people like me have been saying for the last seven years. Now they're open about it. They were telling us that it was a lie and it was a smear. Remember Obama said, remember the old Obama, you lie thing? People got so angry at that member of Congress who yelled, you lie. Uh, Well, if Obama didn't lie, it was a lie that the Democrats would not try to give illegals Obamacare because that was Hillary's platform in the last election. Openly written out on her website, spoken about, that was where they were going. So it was a lie whether Obama knew it or not. And I think Obama probably knew it. He certainly knew it was a lie that you can't, or you know, if you like your health care plan, you can keep it. He knew that was a lie. He didn't care. He had an agenda to uh, deliver on. He had something that he had to uh, to get done no matter what he had to say in that process. McConnell pushed back on this a little bit, fortunately. But uh, look, the Senate's not going to be able to do anything without a majority in the House now on health care. And because of John McCain, we did not actually change anything substantive uh, with from a legislative point of view with Obamacare. We've only made some executive order fixes here and there, right? Removing the uh, individual mandate, that sort of thing. By the way, they, they just said they're not going to enforce it, the individual mandate. So it really still is there. So if you have a different administration, guess what? The individual mandate is back. Uh, but here's what McConnell said about health care. Speaking of where the bipartisanness is, there is none. Play 18. There aren't any Republican attacks on Medicare or Social Security. That's all Democratic mm-hmm. fantasy that they spend every, uh, every two cycle. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but with regard to health care, it's not working well. This is Obamacare. It's not working well. The American people are giving us divided government. The Democrats now have some governing responsibility, being in the majority in the House. I think what they're saying to us is, you guys get together and figure out a way to improve the health care system. Obamacare has not worked well. So they've given us divided government. We have to work together. We need to improve the health care system in America because it's not working well. That's all true. Although it's not as true as Mitch says it in the sense that most people actually like their health care. Most people think that their health care is pretty good. Those who have employer provided health care. Satisfaction with it's really, you never hear about this. Satisfaction is really high. There's a percentage of the population and, you know, th- that works and can't really afford health care and gets caught up in dealing with crappy HMOs and all that. And that's why we've gotten into this crisis we're in with, with the health care system because people realize that it's, you know, it's unethical that somebody would suffer horribly in a very wealthy country because they don't have the funds to pay for a disease that they've contracted just because, you know. But, there's not going to be any bipartisan fix on any of this stuff. That's fantasy land stuff. So, as I've been saying to you, the Democrats took the House. It's time for us to batten down the hatches. Okay, so you need to hire somebody for a job opening. You know what's not smart? Just sort of hoping that the right resumes show up. 
You know what else isn't smart? Just posting somewhere online and assuming, well, this is getting in front of the best candidates. Forget all that stuff. What is smart is going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to make sure you hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and it invites them to apply. It goes for you to them, okay? Think of it like your online headhunter. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter right now for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. On the other hand, you had some that decided to, let's stay away. Let's stay away. They did very poorly. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad, but I feel just fine about it. Carlos Cubella, Mike Kaufman. Too bad, Mike. Mia Love. I saw Mia Love. She'd call me all the time to help her with a hostage situation. Being held hostage in Venezuela. Uh, But Mia Love gave me no love. And she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. And Barbara Comstock was another one. I mean, I think she could have won that race, but she didn't want to have any embrace. Peter Roskam didn't want the embrace. Eric Paulson didn't want the embrace. Bob Eugen, I feel badly because I think that's something that could have been won. That's a race that could have been won. John Faso, those are some of the people that, you know, decided for their own reason not to embrace uh, whether it's me or what we stand for. But what we stand for uh, meant a lot to uh, most people. The president's just at a press conference earlier today saying what's true. People really got upset about this. I, people are calling him a, acting like a mafia boss over, of course, at, at you know, Idiot Central CNN. Uh, but the president is just doing very clear election analysis where you had a lot of different candidates that probably, had they not thought, had they not you know decided to go with the conventional wisdom of Oh, to win in this district or to win in this area, you gotta you gotta distance yourself from Trump. Probably could have won. Uh, you know, New Jersey for a moment there looked like that was a winnable Senate seat. We'll talk more about Menendez later on, but oi, can't believe it. Well, I can't believe it. It's Jersey. Oh, Jersey, look at you, Jersey. Look what you got now. Look what you made me do, Jersey. Uh, you know, but you you could have had uh, the the president really get involved in some of these races, and it might have. Look, I, I still think the Democrats probably win the House by some kind of majority, but it would have been less. And, and the Senate majority, I mean, in a different world, you might have had another, I shouldn't say a different world, just a different night. I mean, different dynamics. You could have had three or four more Republican pickups. I mean, Heller out in Nevada definitely could have gone GOP with a, a little bit more effort. Uh, New Jersey could have gone GOP with Hugan uh, over Menendez. Um, there, there were there were a few spots where, oh, I mean, you know, Tester in Montana. Uh, there were some places where we really could have, but we did, we did well. I mean, don't get me wrong, GOP did well. And I'm not trying to be greedy, but I just want to note that the president's gotten so much pushback over this. I'm like, why? It's important 
that the, for the next election, people know, and Trump goes on the record saying, okay, uh, establishment GOP types who thought you were too cool and too smart to tie yourself to the president, the leader of the Repo- he is the leader of the Republican Party now. That's That's not debatable. That's not up for discussion. Do you want to be in the Republican Party and you want to get behind the leader or not? But there's no, that doesn't mean you have to agree with him on everything. It doesn't mean you have to defend everything he says. It just means do you support him or not? Are you a part of his agenda? Are you a part of the implementation of his vision? And if you want to say no, well, just remember that a bunch of people said no for this election and they got wiped out. Why, why is this such a big deal? People are making such a big deal out of this today. I'm looking around. I'm saying, well, what's, what's the problem? So, you know, Trump. Trump is telling people what they should know about you don't run, you don't run, uh, you know, with with Trump, bad things happen. I, I don't really, I don't really get it. People, well, they just they hate Trump. I mean, they just always want to make a big make a big deal out of this. Um, and and then there's there's this other issue I wanted to just get to for a moment here. Well, first of all, who qualifies as a woman that we should be excited about in politics is always an interesting thing. It's just like who qualifies as a minority. What was there any embrace of uh, Condoleezza Rice as a very high-profile, very powerful minority under the Trump administration? Of course, the answer you know is no. There was no embrace of Condoleezza Rice as a minority in that administration. In fact, people, I think, pretty openly question whether she counts as a minority, whatever that means. You know, If you're not uh, working with the left on this stuff, they decide that they can send you send you off the team i guess I, I don't know i mean that's that's how the left does it there's this there's this willingness to change one's identity politics on the left based really on what the left says your identity is they they just determine as you go along but he, here is mika who watches morning joe that's i mean i really mean that who thinks that they get insight and clarity and they're watching you know, nice people, by the way, people that you really, that people that, you know, I don't know, I, I, I won't, I won't go down the, there's the, there's a whole path here and, you know, I don't, I don't like the whole, you work together, you both got families, but hey, let's abandon the family, hey, you know, but let's, let's go past that, because I, look, I understand Republicans, they'll point to Republicans, they'll point to the president, say, look at his personal, life. So, all right, I'll, I'll leave that out, I'll leave all that stuff aside, but I just, in particular, the whole Morning Joe thing. It, yeah, I, I think it's unseemly, but okay. But here's Mika. Play clip five. I want to just share my thoughts on the 2018 midterms and women knowing their value. It's not a coincidence that some of the biggest winners of the night are women. Many first-time candidates inspired to run to put a check on Donald Trump. The vast majority of the history makers were Democrats. Deb Haaland, the first Native American woman elected to Congress. Ayanna Presley, the first woman of color in Massachusetts. Ilhan Omar in Minnesota and Rashida Tlaib in Michigan. Muslim Americans breaking barriers. Women breaking barriers. Johanna Hayes, who went from Teacher of the Year to Connecticut's first African-American Democrat in Congress. And there's also Nancy Pelosi, that story this morning, likely getting back the gavel. She left off Young Kim, who's the first Korean-American in Congress, a Republican from California's 39th Congressional District. So, okay, you you might say to me, all right, Buck, hold on, hold on. Maybe it's an oversight. And I say, well... Okay, 
I, I could be persuaded that that's true. I could be persuaded that this time around, it it was in fact an an oversight. Um, but there's a, I'm not saying that it was. I'm just saying you could persuade me. I, I'm open to that possibility. But then you look a little bit at what is going on here with the way the left is talking about this election, and there's a lot of. When I refer to blue check Twitter, by the way, for those of you who aren't Twitter people, which I know is a lot of this audience, because you know, why, why be on Twitter unless you work in media? Uh, although those of you who are on Twitter, tweet at me, say hi. I like talking to you. Um, a lot of blue check media was pointing out that in the Cruz and O'Rourke race, as well as uh, other races, there was a very clear split between um, minority... Uh, mi- minorities across the board who went overwhelmingly for Democrats. I mean, in the O'Rourke Cruz race, for example, Cruz is a Latino, folks. By the way, this always gets lost. Beto is a fake Latino. Cruz is an actual Latino. And Latino men went 60% for him. Latino women went 66% for O'Rourke. White women went 59% for Cruz. And there's a similar dynamic in the Gillum race where you had a pretty healthy percentage in terms of, you know, the, the overall tally, a pretty solid percentage of white women uh, went for DeSantis and, and did not go for uh, Gillum. And the way that this is talked about by the blue check, which means journalists, right? It means the people that are verified on Twitter. Um, official, official Twitter was saying that white women are a disappointment. This one guy, Trayvon Free, wrote, black women voted 95% for Beto. White women did what white women do. What is, what is that supposed to mean? Well, what exactly is, is you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just get to the bottom of, of what that white women did. Well, what does that mean? Why is it all right? Why is it all right for white women to be called out in this way? That That strikes me as crossing a line in a pretty profound way. You know, you're going you're gonna to blame white females for the loss in some of these places. The Women's March, you know, the Women's March, the pink hat wearers, they wrote, quote, there needs to be accountability and an honest reckoning. There's a lot of work to do, white women, a lot of learning, a lot of growing. Uh, what do you mean that white women have a lot of learning to do? Oh, because white women went 76% for Kemp, 59% for Cruz, 51% for DeSantis. Black women went 95% for O'Rourke, 97% for Abrams, 82% for, for Gillum. And this one journalist here wrote, white women gonna white. When does the hostility toward whiteness in the media, which I know there are a lot of white people in the media that also do this, but they do it in a way that they think that they're essentially earning virtue signaling points all the time, and they're not part of the bad whiteness. But when does the hostility to whiteness in the media and in the culture more broadly become something we're allowed to talk about? Because it is pretty openly celebrated now in some corners. There are a lot of places where you can bash whiteness as almost a disease, as an affliction. We have to overcome whiteness. We have to deprivilege whiteness. That's not a big leap from we have to overcome whiteness to there's a problem with white people. And that leads us down a very, very ugly path. And that's where the left is taking us. 
I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much better. If I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question. Mr. President, if I may, if I may uh, ask Peter, one other ahead. question. Are you worried? That's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, that's well, I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question. If I may ask on, on the Russia investigation, are you concerned that that you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what. CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts. Well, his I'm not a big fan of us. yours either. So I you understand. Know, to be honest, <laughs> so, let me, so let me ask you a question, if I can. You repeatedly you said are, you are the best, Mr. President. You repeatedly over the course. Okay, of the, just sit down, please. Well, when you when you report fake news, no. When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, you are the enemy of the people. Trump is completely in the right in this whole exchange. And, and the video, by the way, which I know we're doing a radio show, so I can't show it to you, but the video is very uh, worthwhile because it shows that not only do you have the usual Acosta, crazy, rude grandstanding going on, and, and just also his belligerence toward the president. I mean, the, the press corps is seething with hostility toward the president all the time. I mean, not all of them. There are obviously some conservatives and some reasonably neutral members of the press corps do exist, at least in the questions they ask. I mean, I think they're still big libs, but they do ask real questions. But you get into the the Acostas and the April Ryans and some of these others that they just take every opportunity to say, Mr. President, you know, I'm from CNN. When did you stop beating your wife, sir? And they want him to stand up there and just take it. And thank God the president does not. I mean, Acosta should be ashamed of himself, but the guy's incapable of shame. I mean, the guy, first of all, the guy's not very smart at all. He's not, not even a little bit impressive. He's just, uh, he's just somebody who's played the game over at CNN, kind of looks the part, sounds the part of the correspondent, and, you know, CNN uses him for this purpose. You know, C- CNN is, is really a, the, the, the whole thing, is an act over there. This all oh, we're objective journalists. Oh, we're just bringing you the facts and the truth. This is all nonsense. It's all garbage. The whole place, it's really been overcome and, and really overtaken by the dark side. I mean, not to get too Star, Star Wars on you here, but it has been overcome by an anti-Trump mania. It wasn't always that way. People ask me, Buck, you worked at CNN. How could you have done that? I said, well, initially I was doing counterterrorism analysis. And yeah, they're too left wing for my taste on that. But at least they would agree with me. Yeah, the the bombing of that bus or that vehicle attack or whatever that happened in Europe, you know, that's really bad. Buck, tell us about it. And that I could do over there. The moment that I shifted over into the political world at CNN of, well, you know, conservative political commentator from the blaze all of a sudden, that's what they used to say. I'm like, oh, I actually got a nationally syndicated radio show, but slow your roll. Um, but, you know, they, they would say these things. They'd bring me on. And then I realized, oh, this is all just a sham. They don't want a conversation. They don't want a dialogue. This is creating a false perception of open debate and dialogue and journalistic integrity 
for a left-wing audience that can't handle the truth. That's what it is. That is CNN's mission. That is what it peddles day in and day out. But that press conference was, by anyone's objective standard, completely disgraceful. I mean, utterly and completely, abhorrently disgraceful. I mean, Jim Acosta, acting like a maniac, wouldn't give the microphone. There's a young White House staffer. The young woman looks to be about you know 25. And she comes over, and the President of the United States is saying, okay, I'm not taking your question anymore. Please pass the microphone. And she does, as she is instructed by the Commander-in-Chief, to take the microphone and pass it to someone else. And Acosta grabs her by the arm and kind of pushes her arm away and grips the microphone like a toddler who doesn't want to give up a toy in the sandbox. It's not his toy, but Jim Acosta is a toddler. Just a very overpaid one who gets far too much of our attention. I mean, he immediately launches into this, Mr. President, you know, you're, what you said about the caravan is racist. Jim, that's opining. That's editorializing. That's not a question. What he does is not posing questions to the President of the United States to get information for the American people as a journalist. He is a pundit who is too cowardly to say that's what he is because then he'd have to actually engage in intellectual debate. I would shred these clowns, for example. Anyone at CNN in any anchor chair on these issues, I would crush them. They're just not very smart. They all hide behind this facade of journalistic integrity. They all hide behind this, I'm neutral. At least the Van Joneses, at least the, uh, I can't remember her name, the one who's, I used to be on all the time. She, anyway, can't remember that. I, I can't remember some of the names are there. But you know, at least the opinion people, the, the, they call them analysts, which is to kind of elevate them as not being like, you know, pundits, they have to defend their ideas in some level. The worst are the anchors and the correspondents. I mean, they're the ones that are really, now there's some nice correspondents over there too, and there's some nice anchors. It's not all of them, all right? You know, this is, you know, there, there, are some decent, there are some decent folks on air over at CNN. So I, I don't want, because some of you will say, Buck, why are, you know, I saw you with so-and-so, you're nice to so-and-so. I have some friends over there. You know some of my friends over there. But you run down their main lineup, you know, you run down the, the big names in the hashtag resistance over at CNN, Acosta, Tapper, uh, Cooper, Lemon, Cuomo, Camarota, Allison Camarota. Uh, they're, they're all making asses of themselves on a regular basis. And none of them are particularly interesting or smart. And the, their whole thing is this facade of, well, we're just journalists. Yeah, right, please. Slow, slow your roll. Just journalists, like when Jake Tapper was saying that nobody at CNN was holding the president responsible for those pipe bombs that got sent. Hours after the president of CNN released a statement saying the president needs to, the president of the United States needs to know that his words have consequences. Oh yeah, but no one's holding Trump responsible. It's just, it's just slimy. People are just slimy. Ugh, very, very frustrating. Very, very annoying. Um, but I mean, Acosta also, get you know, he he essentially manhandles this this woman. I mean, there was one person who referred to it as a karate chop, which is, is pretty true. You know, Katie Pavlich over at Fox wrote, the only thing physical about this video is Jim Acosta slamming down the arm of a woman doing her job. She's t Katie's totally right. NBC News, though, reported it as, quote, White House aide grabs and tries to physically remove a microphone from CNN correspondent during a contentious exchange with President Trump. 
at a news conference. I think, by the way, I think they changed that headline. I think that that was, I think they stealth edited that headline because that's not what I remember. I mean, that's bad enough, but that's not what I remembered before. So that's, uh, that's what you're dealing with now with the mainstream media. That's how they operate here. And uh, it is indeed very frustrating to watch this play out. But I just, I am so thankful that President Trump will call these jokers out. And, you know, look, he's, he's not a despot. A despot would Saddam style, you know, Hussein, not Barack Hussein, but Saddam Hussein, uh, Saddam style, you know, march people out and no one knows where they go, right? I mean, that, that's a despotism. A despotism would be Trump revoking all the press credentials from these people and then telling them if they don't stop criticizing them, they're going to go to prison. And by the way, if Trump did that, I would vociferously and with all the, the, the platform I have denounce that and work against that. But Trump's never going to do that. That's like saying, well, you know, would you guys still listen to me if I came in there? And I was like, so guess what, guys? I'm a huge lib now. And actually, I think that I'm a one-legged Samoan from the 17th century. You might say, well, Buck, that doesn't really comport with reality. I don't think, you know, but you you probably wouldn't still think the show was great, right? But yeah, if, if Trump was actually a despot, I'd have a problem with it. He's not, though. He's not a despot. And I'm not living in the 17th century, so we don't really have to worry about these things. We don't really have to be concerned about it. Uh, I, di- I did see something as an aside that there's a guy, I think he's 69, and he wants Tinder, which is a dating app for those of you who don't know. Uh, so it's an online dating service. He wants a judge to legally change his age. I don't even know the details here, but I, I knew this was coming because he wants to be in his 40s because he'll have much more success, he thinks, getting dates with the kind of women he wants. I'm sure he wants to date 30-somethings or maybe even 20-somethings, but he's 69. So anyway, you know, the, the, the delusions about gender are, are soon to be extended to race and age as well, and the libs are going to have a really hard time parsing and explaining and, and defending their various positions on that. But I, I have to say, I'm, uh, I'm, just so, I'm so pleased there. The president, he had this press conference. He laid it all down, and... What he said needed to be said. And when he calls Acosta a rude, terrible person, he's right. Acosta is a rude, terrible person. It is such an honor. And, he, and, 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 and any CNN journo should feel honored to be given access to the President of the United States in this way, to be able to ask them the questions that they do, to present the American people with information. You know, there is an important role here. It is important that our government is uh, put, on, put in a position to answer questions and but that doesn't mean that they have to take abuse. They're human beings, too. You know, it's not that Jim Acosta and others, April Ryan and this other guy, P- Peter Alexander, that's the guy's name. Uh, one of these people who just, he, clearly, he looks like what NBC thinks a news anchor should look like, therefore he has this job. Other than that, seems a very unimpressive fellow. Uh, but they don't understand how lucky they are. I mean, that's one of the big problems I have with a lot of these people in the media is that they think that they're they think they're really special and really important. And for most of them they're just very lucky. I'm very lucky to do what I do. And I'm not getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do a job that hundreds and hundreds of other people could do just as well, right? I mean, I, doing a 3-hour radio show is distinct to the individual who does it. 
standing there and asking questions to the President of the United States for a network, uh, network cable show or a, a, a cable news channel is something that, yeah, some people do slightly better than others, but a lot of people can do that job. A lot of people. So uh, people, there should be a humility that comes with this profession, and there's just it's so lacking. It's so lacking over at CNN. It really is. And I mentioned this guy, Peter Alexander, by the way. He gives you more of this, more of what you would expect from the other side, where he asks a question that's not a question. It's an editorial statement, i.e. it's, I think you're terrible. What do you think, Mr. President? Play clip 19. This is the same press conference. Mr. President, over the course over the course of the last several days of the campaign, sir, sir, at the end of the campaign, you repeatedly said that Americans need to fear Democrats. You said Democrats would unleash a wave of violent crime that endangers families everywhere. Why are you because pitting very Americans? Crime. Why Excuse are you me. pitting Americans Peter, against one another, sir? Peter, what are you trying to be him? No, Peter, I'm just asking let me just, a question. Let me just tell you, very simple, because they're very weak on crime because they have often suggested members and people within the Democrat Party at a high level have suggested getting rid of ICE, getting rid of law enforcement. That's not going to happen, okay? We want to be strong on the borders. We want to be strong on law enforcement. And I want to I want to cherish ICE because ICE does a fantastic job. Notice how he was asking what could be considered a real question. And then he goes, why are you pitting Americans against each other? Well, you could always say that when one member of one political party criticizes the other political party. This is a non-question question. Why are you being so divisive? The media likes to do that, too. Well, we're in a divided political atmosphere. What do you mean, why are you being so divisive? It's almost like saying, why are you so mean and disagreeing with the other side? When, when you really break this down, you can see just how transparent this whole thing is. I, know, I, was, glad, I was glad that Acosta... Got what was coming to him in this one. It was uh, it was definitely what needed to happen. And unfortunately, it benefits Acosta because the liberal idiots that watch him and the executives, Zucker and co. over at CNN, who sign his paychecks, think that it's great. This is great. They're all for it. So, you know, while they both want to be, they want to be pitied and they want to be considered brave. That's what these journalists are striving for. And it's just preposterous. Hey, producer Mike, back in the house. I know you were uh, you were running some clips there for a second. So, so you watched this in real time today too. I was thinking, I was like, I was like, oh, I know producer Mike is loving the Acosta smackdown here. Yeah, man, we were going wild. It was amazing. <laughs> it was it, it yeah. was epic. It was like really one of the, you know, it was like almost jaw dropping when you could when you could see the the tension. You could just see it through the TV. And one of the TV angles that I'm sure you noticed how how close they were. It was just like. I felt like I was like a boxing match was about to break out. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, you know I, I think, by the way, you know, we've obviously got Jeff Sessions gone. Yeah. And and the other the other big name that's always been said is uh, is going to you know leave the White House is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's about to be out, according to I mean, that's according to my sources in the White House. I mean, I've been but I mean, it's been reported. I mean, I've heard it. People have heard it from other people, too. But I've also talked to White House folks and they said that's that's coming for a long time. Uh I think that the president is going to take on a lot more of these briefings himself. I think the president realizes that yeah. the, the the best thing for him is is when the American people see the way these maniacs act and they're really doing it to the president of the United States. What do you think, man? I, I couldn't and agree. I like it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, he sees, you know, they're in their own little bubble in that room. They, they, they still have no clue how the American people view what they're doing. 
And I think they see him as being attacked. And he's, you know, they were cornering him today, and he fought back. And his base loves that. And they, I mean, if last night didn't get him reelected, that, you know, that could have today. I mean, it was amazing what he was doing. Oh, yeah. That was great. I mean, it, it comes after also the Democrats. There was no blue wave. Clearly, it's not what they were hoping for. They're, some of them were basically crying about this thing. Yeah. And then they come in, and you know what it was, man? They were just trying to, they were just trying to uh, make a statement about how there's still going to be hashtag resistance. And Trump was kind of like, bring it, fools. Mm-hmm. What you got? Yeah. That was amazing. It was. Uh, I'm glad. I, I knew you were enjoying it today, too, man. I was like, I was going to start texting you. My phone was low on juice. But I'm like, I know uh, Mike is seeing this one. When we were talking great. earlier, I told you, like, we were in, like, one of our uh, offices here, about three or four other people, and we just were, like, going banana. We're, like, cheering like it was a sporting event. We're like, oh, my God. And people are, like, walking yeah. by the office, like, sticking their head. Like, what's going on in there? And uh, I love it, man. All right, we got, we got uh, Harlan Hill guys going to drop some knowledge on what happened last night coming up here in just a moment. It's a wonderful thing that you can send resumes anywhere and you can post for jobs, you can apply for jobs, you can get involved in the job market. But when you're hiring people, how do you know that you're getting the individual that you think you are, right? All you're looking at is a piece of paper, maybe an email. Guess what? People write stuff. People present themselves in ways just not true. You need, no matter how small or large your company is, those of you who are in the HR departments of huge Fortune 100 companies, those of you who've got 10 employees, you got a startup, you want to have a background investigation and vetting company you know you can trust. That's Global Verification Network. They're the only dual-certified veteran-owned company in this space. All right, they are the ones you want to go to. I know the CEO personally. He's an incredibly quality guy. Uh, and he will make sure that your questions get answered through this whole process. Call 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179. So a lot of big things happened after uh, the results were finally tallied last night. We've had a, a lot in the news cycle to tackle. I want to bring in one of my favorite fellow Republican voices from here in the swamp to just help us make sense of it all, our friend, Harlan Hill is with us now. He is a Republican consultant, also a member of the Trump 2020 Board of Advisors. Harlan, great to have you back, my friend. Thank you, Buck. Great to be with you. How are you feeling about all this? And what what is your sense of where we are now? Yeah, we'd have to go through race by race, but okay, we got a split split decision here. House goes one way, Senate goes the other. How are things looking in MAGA world? Well, I'll be honest with you. I had fully prepared myself for a night that was much worse than what we ended up getting. Um, and all in all, I think it was mostly a, a wash between the Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, we were promised a blue wave, and what we got was a, you know, I guess a little small wave in the House for the Democrats, but a nice wave for Republicans in the Senate. And the fact that we were able to hold on to a couple of these key governors' races in Ohio and Florida bodes extremely well for us as we look to 2020 for the president's re-election prospects. So I think it was all in all a pretty good night. Solid. And the president, as far as I can tell, I mean, he, he comes out and he says, look, people that, in the, particularly in the House, who were trying to distance themselves from me, there's a very, there's a lot of, of clear data now that they got, they got wiped out, essentially. You know, Comstock in, uh, in Virginia, Mia Love, I mean, he mentioned a bunch of them by name. And in places where Trump showed up and and really campaigned hard, there were 
very tangible benefits for those Republican candidates. So I feel like Trump wasn't on the ballot, but yet had a positive effect for the party, which means that when Trump is once again on the ballot, Democrats better bring more than their A game. They better bring somebody else's game. Absolutely. I mean, this is the party of Trump now. And if you were a Republican that had held on and tried to reflect the old Republican Party that had lost time and time again, you know, if you were one of those McCain acolytes or Romney and you, you, know, you thought their brand of conservatism was going to save the party and, and you know, lead us back to the White House, um, you know, you're irrelevant now. And either you were primaried or you retired or last week you lost. And I think this is an important moment for the Republican Party as we reset. The president has assumed control and the Democrats have no leadership, to your point. I mean, it's it's unclear to me where that's going to even come from. Where's the next generation of talent for them? Where's the bench? Uh, you know, theoretically, last night, going into last night, it was supposed to be Abrams in Georgia it was supposed to be Gillum in Florida and O'Rourke in Texas. Those were the three saviors of the Democratic Party. And, you know, people were speculating that some combination of them or uh, them plus maybe a more establishment Democrat would make for a great ticket in 2020. All three of them lost. But even going beyond that, the, the leader of the Democratic Party in exile, uh, Barack Obama, Every single candidate that he supported, that he went out and campaigned for, lost last night. So while the president's popularity with his party is surging, the efficacy of his campaign is through the roof, Barack Obama's totally irrelevant. He couldn't pull any of these people across the finish line. The Democrats are in trouble. I think the Democrats are definitely in trouble. And when I saw, we, we did a, a poll at the, at the Hill, and the top, uh, the top contenders for who should run against Trump are uh, Biden, Sanders, and, and, and I mean this, none of the above. And this is Democrats being asked. So when none of the above is, is 30% of the, uh, of the Democrat base in terms of who they think of the, of the candidates that are currently under discussion should run against Trump, that tells you a lot. But you know, I've got to also say, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is something of a walking, talking ad for republicans i mean i i think that the more the more pelosi we can see on the national stage in advance of 2020 the better and i i also think that we're heading toward a a political stalemate here from a legislative point at least where you know there's all we're going to be doing harlan for the next two years is talking about investigations you know scandals real and imagined and candidates because i don't think anything's really going to get done no, I mean, not in the Congress, at least. I mean, you know, Trump will do what he not does. In Congress. But. Right. Well, and what's so frustrating about this is, you know, we're over three years into the Russia talk. I mean, this started before the president even got elected. They were trying to plant seeds of doubt about the president's legitimacy before he even became president. And um, now it's reached a fevered pitch. People are starting to really tune it out in mainland America. When you look at the polling, they don't care. They, they want to move past this. They love the economy. They love the direction of the country. And, you know, until the Democrats can prove, provide a shred of evidence to substantiate any of the claims that they made against the president in terms of Russian collusion, then uh, people aren't going to care. And considering that we're two years into the, the investigation, we're three years into the talk of this, I, don't, I have no confidence the Democrats 
have any ability to produce any of that evidence because it doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't exist. And so they can talk about this all they want. Voters don't give uh, a rat's behind about it. And uh, this provides an opening for the president. And what I love most about Nancy Pelosi being in a position of leadership is, one, her caucus is incredibly divided. There are over 60 Democrats in the House that said that they're going to oppose her, uh, her bid for leadership. There's going to be a nasty fight. Um, and even if she uh, is able to become speaker, she probably will be, her caucus is going to be divided. They're going to be fighting. And her ability to keep this very slim majority that she has together is, is in question. And the president's going to take advantage of that, as he always does, because he does best when he has a foil, when he has somebody uh, you know, to, 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 pin, to pin against him. I, I so, feel like uh, what we I, saw today, Harlan, in that wildly entertaining but also really kind of disturbing press conference where the press, I mean, they're, they're not hiding it at all. I mean, it's been obvious that they're hostile to the president in a way where they are not just partisans, but they're rude and and they, they really are making allegations in the form of questions during press conferences. You know, so, sir, since you're a racist, what do you think about, you know, the price of of, uh, you know, soybeans right now? I mean, they'll just it, it's so clear that they're trying to grandstand and take swipes, at the president. But what I think we saw today, and it wasn't just Acosta. There are some others there, too, is. We are now just heading into this this bare knuckle political fight that is going to culminate in the 2020 election. And that's going to be the defining conversation in American politics, which is just the partisan battle over Trump. I don't see any unless there's some unforeseen unless we, you know, go to war with North Korea. I don't see something that's going to distract from that or take us on a different path. Well, and. Look, uh, we'll stop calling the media and people like Jim Acosta the enemy of the people when they stop lying about the president, when they stop slandering his supporters, um, when they stop lying to their own viewers, um, which is exactly what CNN and other networks like them do, by the way. I mean, you know this firsthand, I'm sure, because if you've been on CNN, you know that it's you know typically seven Democrats against one Republican which is the most dishonest portrayal of the country that you could provide to your viewers possible. And, and they so, usually and they want the least effective Republican spokespersons yeah. they they can get. I mean they either want a yeah. never trumper, I mean they want I mean something like Anna Navarro who's a joke and a clown, but you know I, I mean yeah. even people that will at least try to take a not even necessarily pro-Trump, just not anti-Trump point of view on the right. They generally want people who are punching bags or clay pigeons as we say in the business. And it's just it's just gross. And Tapper and Cooper yeah. and all the rest of them, they're just frauds. So the whole thing is dishonest. Yeah, it is. And um, I'm glad the president's fighting back. You know, I I've had enough of this. And I think his supporters have, too. He's got a mandate to do this. He's got a mandate to push back. I mean, Acosta was up there. Uh, this poor girl that works for you know, the White House comm shop went to go retrieve the microphone because it was time for another reporter to ask questions because, you know, Acosta had his chance to ask a question. The president answered it, and it was time to move on. And uh, if you watch the video, it's almost like he assaulted this girl. He pushed her arm down, grabbed the mic back with two hands. He got very aggressive and physical with this young lady. And, you know, it, 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 it's, it's reached the point where he is just out of control. He's rude. He's aggressive. And he's getting increasingly physical in these, in these press conferences. And, and CNN better wake up and start doing something about it because they've, I mean, they've lost their rating. Nobody watches that garbage. But they've, they've, they've also just totally squandered their brand, too.
You, by the way, Harlan, you have you have real connections in the White House. I'm just wondering, do you have any, whether based on sources or just your own, uh, your own sense of where this is heading? Do, do you have any thoughts on one how the White House feels the day after this midterm, and then also where we're going with the Attorney General situation? Yeah, I, I think the White House is is, is pleased. Um, you know, they know that the historical trends were working against us. You know, we, we should have given back some significant grounds in the midterms, and I think that we exceeded our expectations. And that's because the president and Vice President Pence and the rest of the administration mobilized for the last month going to every corner of this country to drive out the president's supporters. And if the president and the vice president hadn't done that, last night would have been a very different story. It would have been much worse. So uh, don't listen to any moderate Republican or somebody that is, uh, you know, speaking, you know, without giving their name to a reporter and saying that the president's the reason that, you know, uh, we lost the House last night. No, the president is the reason that we were able to pick up uh, seats in the Senate and held on to as many of the seats as we did in the House. I mean, we had 44 Republicans retire, right? And we're going to lose 32 seats or something like that in the House. I mean, that's in, in a midterm year. That's a that's a record I'll, I'll take. As for the um, I'm sorry, what was the second question? Oh, the uh, Attorney General. Sessions is gone. Now what? Uh, oh, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> you know, one of the president's promises was that, you know, we would drain the swamp. And, and part of that is going after corruption that exists all over Washington and or really permeates the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, I, I was hopeful that when Jeff Sessions stepped into this role as Attorney General back in 2017, that, um, you know, he would he would chase that down. He didn't. And worse than that, he's compromised the entire administration by uh, abdicating his role um, and, uh, and and appointing that special prosecutor. So, uh, you know, he needed to go. He was ineffectual. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, what was he doing? What was he doing at DOJ? Nothing. This guy, I mean, I, I think he's, he's got a low IQ. Uh, he compromised the entire movement, um, and the president had zero confidence in him. It was time to make a change. So uh, I think he was good on immigration, Harlan. I'll be honest with you. And I, I, I think I think you're being a little harsh on Jeff. But as everybody who listens to the show knows, Jeff has actually called into the show a bunch of times. So I'm a, I got a little soft spot for the, the now former AG. But nonetheless, man, I I appreciate your perspective well, on it. Everybody, if you're not already, you should yeah. follow Harlan on Twitter and you'll obviously see him popping up all the time on Fox News. Harlan, my brother down here in the swamp, Thank stay you. in the fight. All right. We say shields high on our team, so that's what you got to do. Keep your shield high. Shield high. Bye. All right, my friend. Thank you. I got to move around a lot, team, and that means that I end up using public Wi-Fi, right? I got no choice sometimes on airplanes, on trains. You know, if I'm going out to see some of you across the country trying to give a speech or trying to just do an interview, guess what? I find myself at the mercy of whatever public Wi-Fi is available. I don't want people able to access my stuff, whether it's hackers or third-party app users, individuals that are trying to sell my stuff. None of that. ExpressVPN protects you when you're online. It makes sure that the stuff that you're doing, your documents, your activities are not accessible by these third parties. It costs less than $7 a month to protect yourself. And this is the number one VPN service out there, according to Tech Radar. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash buck. It's unfair to the country and it's costing millions of dollars. Why don't you just give him the mic, please? I've answered the question. Okay. 
Go ahead, take the take the. Well, I'll give you voter. So I, I will give you voter suppression. You just have to sit down, please. Sit down. I didn't call you. I didn't call you. I didn't call you. I'll give you voter suppression. Take a look at the CNN polls. How inaccurate they were. That's called voter suppression. Go thank, ahead, please. Thank you, Mr. President. I'm not responding. I'm responding to. Excuse me. I'm not responding to you. I'm talking to this gentleman. Will you please sit down? Would, excuse me. Excuse me. Would you please sit down? Please go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. Now that the House of Representatives Very hostile. Has uh, it's such a hostile media. It's so sad. You ask me about... No, you rudely interrupted him. You rudely interrupted him. I love it when the president does this. It needs to be done. That was left-wing political hack slash journo April Ryan. I'm sure people are going to say it's sexist and racist because she's a black female for the president to tell her that it is not her turn, right? Because anything this president does is sexist and racist. Even though he was trying to take a question from our friend and Daily Caller reporter, Sagar and Jetty, who is South Asian. So he is brown, but nonetheless, trying to let one brown reporter speak and not letting an African-American female reporter just interrupt and demand the floor is considered racist now. These are the new rules of journalism in the Trump era, apparently. And it's just so necessary. The president draws a, 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 a firm a firm line on this one. I mean, really is clear that he won't allow people to act this way without. Look, he's you know, this is what gets me so mad too. journalists act up. And we obviously have talked about the Acosta thing. And I bet uh, this is Acosta is a performance artist now. This is what he does. I mean, Acosta just dear diary. President Trump was mean to me. You know, he's more famous than he's ever been. I'm sure CNN contract is fatter now with more cash attached to it than ever before. He's doing just fine. But these journo types cause a scene. April Ryan, Jim Acosta, that uh, other guy who was, you know, licking Acosta's boots today. I can't remember. from NBC. Uh, they cause a scene. And then they claim that the president is a despot. Then they claim the president is acting in some totalitarian fashion and he's shutting down the First Amendment and how could he and it's so awful and all this stuff. All he does in response is say, can you not be rude? Can you not act like a spoiled little child? Can you not be a big baby about this? How about that? And the response to that from the people who are acting like huge babies is, no surprise, and they claim that the president is ruining the country, destroying the First Amendment. And look, the, the media lost all credibility when it comes to objectivity under eight years of Obama. All right, they lost all their anybody who says, oh, the media is they're nonpartisan or neutral. They're either just delusional or stupid. Right. The mainstream media is over 90 percent. The media in general in the news business is over 90 percent lib. 50% of them register as independents, by the way. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Oh, you're really fooling everybody with your independent. That's the Don Lemon maneuver. Well, excuse me. I'm an independent. Oh, okay. You're an independent. Now, now I guess you're not a partisan hack. What a joke these clowns are. But they lost all of their claims to independence during the Obama years. No question about it. All right. They just, they just got rid of all that. Now, what we see is not only were they willing to just lie down 
take whatever Obama gave them, give Obama the verbal equivalent of a constant back rub in the West Wing. I mean, it was just an embarrassment. Not only were they willing to do that, but then under the Obama, I mean, under the Trump administration now, what you see is they they are ferociously and childishly hostile to this president. I mean, they just throw tantrum after tantrum. I mean, Jim Acosta is just the, uh, America's baby in chief right now, just doing this nonsense. He doesn't even ask smart questions. I mean, if Jim Acosta would actually ask an intelligent question once in a while, I'd give him a, a little bit more credit. And, uh, you know, I'd say for every real question you get from Acosta, there are three speeches where Acosta is effectively grabbing the mic for himself to try to get all of the libs who watch CNN excited. And it's just it's just terrible. I mean, it's just I'm so sick of it. And thank heavens that Trump just doesn't doesn't sit there and take it. If we had Romney as our president right now, which I know I don't even I know he won the Senate, whatever. We had Romney as our president right now. He would just sit up there like, okay, everybody, can we be a little nicer, please? Can we, uh, oh, let's calm down. They would just steamroll him. The libs need to be taught a lesson, and none more so than the libs in the press, and none more so than CNN. Love it when the president slaps them around verbally. Unlike Acosta, who gets a little rough physically with young women trying to take the mic from him. There was a dream tonight for Democrats, which was that early on, they'd be able to say, OK, we, we you know, we won a couple in Virginia. We won in Kentucky. And this is going to show that this wave is starting and you, and you can't stop it. Now, there's no tsunami. There's there's no tsunami coming. I mean, winning the House by one vote by one member is enough is enough for them. But there's a lot of disappointment that I'm hearing uh, from people. The excitement, I think, is the the cliche Among is Democrats. the balloon is popping. This is heartbreaking, though. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, the hope has been that the antibodies would kick in, that this sort of infestation of, of hatred and division uh, would, re- would, would draw a response from the American people, really in both parties, to say no and no, no more. Uh, that does not seem to be happening tonight. It's not a blue wave, but it's still a blue war. We've got to continue the, the fight forward. We do have to continue the fight forward, but on the other side. And I think that the antibodies have kicked in. It's just the infection is leftism, statism, collectivism. The infection is what we refer to as liberalism today, which is really a form of sanitized insanity. That is what you have now on the left. These are people that you cannot have a normal, responsible conversation with on a whole host of issues. These are people who will say things that in any other time in human history, anyone with a normal functioning brain would say, that is crazy. But now here we are. Now there are not two genders, there are 37. Now we're all going to die unless we restrict CO2 in the atmosphere by riding bicycles and eating less red meat. Now we need to find ways to make the government even larger in our lives and more in control of our health care than ever before because the government is so good at efficiency and the delivery of goods and services. This is insanity. And what you were shown last night without any hesitation by the left, without any question, is that they have learned nothing since 2016. I, I really 
want to hammer home that point tonight. Nothing for them has changed. They, they do not stop and think, well, hold on a second. Not only did Trump win that election in 2016, whether they want to pretend that Russia was involved or not, that doesn't even matter. I mean, not only did he win that, but now Trump has been president for almost two years. And the American people that voted for him then don't just think that was the right decision at that time, but want him to continue to be in charge and his party to be in charge because they think that they're doing a good job at governance. So while Van Jones and others at CNN can talk about the infestation of racism all the time, without well, what specifics are we ever given about that? Because we want a secure border, that makes you racist? If wanting the border to be secure makes you a racist, then I suppose half the country is racist. If wanting the rule of law to be enforced irrespective of a person's skin color or national origin makes you a racist, then I guess half the country are racist. So if that is the case, then maybe they should just give up this talking point about how the country is so racist all the time because we're not going to change on those points. I'm not going to change on rule of law. I'm not going to give up because of the moral blackmail they engage in on issues of immigration, acting like because we want sovereignty and rule of law, we're the equivalent of, of clan members or something, right? This is just unacceptable rhetoric from the left. But just remember, I'm telling you this. They have learned nothing. They will change nothing. And now all we can do is win. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. All right, team, it has been quite a 24 hours or so. So we got a lot, a lot to discuss here on Roll Call. And I appreciate hearing from from all of you, as always. Man, it, it was it was wild. I, I, last night we did live coverage at, at Hill TV and we were up until I don't know, 1230. And then I went to sleep at probably one and got back up at five, and yeah, it was it was uh, a, a, a tiring day. I, I managed to fall asleep at about noon the next, you know, today, and just let all of the MAGA soak in, let all of the uh, events that we've been discussing here on the show simmer a little bit in my mind. So it, it's it's been quite a thing. I, I just. As, as I've said, prepare for battle. That's what we're in for for the next two years. It's just This is just going to be an all-out uh, war in politics for control in 2020. But let's see what you think about all the things. Michael, by the way, this comes to us via Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Michael writes, so long to your buddy Jeff Sessions. I know, Michael. You know, I'm, I'm very much of, of two minds about this. I mean, the president needs to have somebody that, you know, he can trust the president needs to have somebody on his side that he, you know, isn't isn't worried about uh, falling into the the lib mentality on things. I mean, I, I so I, I understand that. And by the people say, oh, the attorney general is supposed to be nonpartisan. The attorney general is supposed to adhere to the law, everyone. But let's let's put on our big boy pants and understand that just like with the Supreme Court, there are ideological frameworks that people apply to the law and that matters and we should not the other side is certainly aware but we should not pretend 
that we are not aware of it. Um, but yeah, you know, so I understand why he wanted somebody who's a little more more of a fighter under the circumstances. I, I think Jeff Sessions is a very a very honorable guy. I think he did everything that he could under the circumstances uh, to you know be good to the administration in terms of policy. But he clearly was not ready for this moment of all-out street brawling with the Dems. All right, next up here, Tom writes, Buck, love the show. I'm a truck driver and listen on a few few days delay on podcast. I'm from New Jersey, but recently moved to Kentucky to escape the liberal nonsense. I can't believe my old home voted in Menendez. It's unreal, all the brainwashed people in this country. Thanks for everything you do, Shields High. Well, thank you, Tom, for listening. Very much appreciated. And as for New Jersey with Menendez, you know, they, uh, how do I, how do I put it? They uh, decided in uh, New Jersey, they wanted, uh, you know, guy who's got a little bit of dirt on him. You know, little Menendez, they, they understand. They feel like, uh, hey, you know, he's a guy who, uh, he's a guy's guy because, uh, you know, he's got problems. Maybe you can put a little leverage, put a little lean on him. You know what I mean? That's, uh, <laughs> that's the, it's the New Jersey way. I mean, there's a part of, look, I have so many friends and everything from New Jersey. I'm just, as a New Yorker, I'm allowed to have fun with New Jersey. It's like when people in Texas say that we're deporting the wrong people. We need to be deporting Oklahomans. I mean, that's not on me. That's what they say. But, you know, that's a Texas-Oklahoma thing. And with New York and New Jersey, there's a special, a special relationship where we kid. You know, we make little jokes here and there. But I, I agree. I mean, on to a serious point here. The fact that New Jersey, who, who votes for Menendez? I mean, he was so close to being indicted for felony corruption. And that's the best that's the best New Jersey can do. Never mind some of the other allegations against him, which if you go back to about 2012, you'll see what they were. They were published. They, they never were proven, but sketchy stuff out there about him. Sketchy stuff. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. He should go to prison for things that aren't proven. I'm just saying that's who you want to elect to be your senator. I, I don't know. That seems to me to be, uh, it seems to me to be a, a problem. But people, people get what they get. You know, you get what you get, what you get, and you get what you want. That doesn't really make any sense, but you know what I mean. Uh, TJ writes, Buck, possible 2020 Democrat presidential contender Joe Manchin. Thoughts? Um, well, I he's a Democrat, TJ, so I, I don't really like that idea. I do think, though, this is an opening for me to say that what I would like to have happen is uh, I would like for us to convince Manchin to switch over. Manchin should switch parties. You know, he, he is no longer really a Democrat. And I think the Kavanaugh vote, as much as it saved his Senate seat for him, I think that'll be held against him by the party for a very, very long time. Uh, so it's this is not this is not something that they will forget either. I mean, I, I think it's it's tough to tell whether for Manchin it was a point of honor or a point of political self-preservation. I, I think you make a case for Manchin that it was either, but he made the right move. You know, just like with Jeff Flake, Jeff Flake is is a wimp, and Jeff Flake should not be representing Republicans anywhere. But he did the right thing at the end of the day on Kavanaugh. It took him a while to get there, and he took a risk he didn't have to, I think, in the one-week extension. But there is an argument to be made that that week really did take a lot of the heat out of the argument from the other side that 
you know, it was a risk. And I think the, you know, I don't think it was a necessary risk, but you can argue that the risk worked out in the long run. And obviously Kavanaugh, you know, all's well that ends well is the short version of what I'm trying to say. Uh, Keith writes, hey, Buck, just curious, were the Republican congressmen that retired a bunch of never Trumpers? I wonder how many of the seats we kept and if they were a lot of never Trumpers. And if we did lose a lot of those seats, could losing the House be an intentional way of hurting the Trump agenda on their part? Uh, You know, Keith, I do think that there were people that didn't want to run again because they thought that they would uh, they would lose and they and they don't really want to be a part of Trump's Republican Party anymore. There also was this point that Trump brought up today in the press conference about how if you've been a committee chairman, you know, there's you can't continue to be a chairman after a period of time. So uh, there's a number of factors, but there were a huge, relatively speaking, huge number of Republican retirements. And that's a that's an issue. Uh, that's an issue for sure. Joe writes, no faith in Florida, Buck. No worries. We were sweating it, too, but we came through. Shields high. OSS. Joe. Joe. I got to give it credit to my Republican brothers and sisters down in Florida. You guys turned out. You guys braved the rainstorms that were up in the Tallahassee area and I guess some other parts of the state, too. Uh, you know, I, I think that you guys came through in a really important way because the the big story they wanted last night were wins in the Senate and the governor's house uh, in Florida for the Democrats. Gillum as the next generation of national level Democrat left wing political figure. Those were the, the those were the, the big stories they want. Yeah, they wanted Beto, but Beto was a Beto was a pipe dream. Okay, he didn't lose by ten. I know I said that, but he lost by four, I think. Uh, and they spent seventy million dollars on it. I mean, so, you know, at, at what point do you say, okay, well, he would have lost by ten if they hadn't thrown more money into this Senate race than any other Senate race in history, in history, to try and go right into GOP stronghold of Texas and and take a seat there. I mean, it it was bold, but it was foolish. Brave, but dumb, I think is how you could describe it. Jenna writes, sad night for Wisconsin. Scott Walker is one politician who says what he's going to do and then does it. I'm shocked that Wisconsin went so Democrat, but I live far from Madison. Listening to you and some other conservatives bring sanity. My hope remains in God, not in people. Jenna, Jenna, thank you so much for writing in, writing in. And uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I think with Wisconsin, there's just eventually the desire for change overcomes better judgment of the general population in a place. So people think, well, you know, we, we, we how many times have we had to pull the lever for Walker? I know people would argue the other side of this is well, when you're used to pulling the lever for somebody, you keep doing it. It even reminds me of that pretty mediocre Eddie Murphy movie back in the day, The Distinguished Gentleman, uh, Jeff Johnson, a name you know, where he just runs on the name of a deceased congressman and he wins because that's who everyone's used to voting for. I mean, it's, it's really the, the whole movie's kind of a one-trick pony in that, okay, that's kind of a funny concept, but the rest of the movie's pretty boring, kind of sucks. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that with Walker, people just, they, they just got worn down by the progressives uh, who really would never let it go that he took on the public sector unions in that state. And I mean, that was a crazy story back in 2012, what was going on there. That was really, uh, you had people taking over the state capital there in Wisconsin with these really these kind of riot like situations. I mean, these sit-ins and everything, it was just nuts. 
Uh, all because, you know, we figured, well, maybe the taxpayer shouldn't be completely punished with gold-plated benefit programs for public sector unions. Maybe that's something that they should address. Uh, next we have Up. Who writes, hey, Buck, I caught your brief message about how Americans really don't want government telling them who they can be. That is so true. They don't hurt anybody by breaking laws. They need to back the hell away and let freedom ring, warts and all. I agree. Up. And your name is cool. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Johan. Hello, Buck. Me again. Let's try this. I have the bad habit of hitting the enter key. Listening to the show tonight, and at the end, you were reading listeners' messages. You said that you wanted to read a critical one, and I thought that had to be mine. I hope you ma- change your mind about thinking I was being critical. I just have a bit different take on one thing. You the man, Buckster. Um, well, no, I don't. I, I wasn't actually thinking of yours. Uh, okay, well, here we go, Johan. Here, here's what you wrote. Buck, this is an earlier message that I just missed. Uh, jo- Johan, by the way, just so you know... Uh, I get we're getting hundreds and hundreds of messages in all the time. And so it's just I can't get to all of them. And some people have figured out the times that I tend to look at these and and pick out messages to read on air. They've gamed the system a little bit. So their names appear a little more frequently in the roll call. But, hey, I appreciate the enthusiasm. You know, I got to I got to people are going to you know, they're going to play the game. Well, you got to respect the respect the player. But, Johan, the critical message was this. Buck, you are the best. I can't take the other talk show hosts for more than a few minutes. I almost, or I always agree with you, but tonight you said a few things I could not get behind. First, calling the military the warrior class. I think that is dangerous, thinking that they are a separate class. I prefer to think they're Americans that serve or are serving. I retired after more than 30 years, active reserve, Navy, and Army. Um, I hated the military, but by no stretch am I a lefty. What I did like about being in was some of the people I lived and worked with, the cool things I did, places I went. I didn't like the Mickey Mouse stuff that seemed more important to some folks, like tucking in your shirt during PT. I also didn't like taking orders, which I think is basically an American kind of thing. Um, but none that. I, anyway, Buck, you are still the best. Uh, from Johan, Yo, Johan, I mean, it, sure, that's a. Com- By the way, it's a completely. I wouldn't even say it's a criticism; it's just a different opinion, but it's completely valid. Uh, and and when I refer to the warrior class, I mean, I, I don't mean to separate them out. As in they're distinct or different from Americans, I just mean that they have served in a way that is just different. Uh, just different. Gosh, Buck. Distinct or different. Just different. It's just different. Uh, another Buckism. I'm really letting them fly these days. Uh, so that's going to be it for the hut today, my friends. Uh, we got a lot ahead of us. So thanks for being here. Shields high. Guess what I just did, team? I had a moment uh, where I was thinking about something. I wanted to share a thought. And, oh, that's right. I logged in to snippy.com you may have heard me talk a little bit about snippy it's this new social media site and it's filling a very important need because as you know the big social media platforms out there have been engaged in all kinds of censorship and you know that it skews against conservatives they do shadow banning you don't even know if they're censoring you that's what's so crazy right but if you just want to post things and know that the conversation is what it is and that your thoughts your opinions matter Snippy.com is the unbiased social media platform that you've been waiting for. It's all about conversation and community. You're free to express your thoughts there. By the way, this is totally free. All right, I'm telling you to go to Snippy.com, set up an account like thousands of members of Team Buck already have, and just start posting and use the interface. They've got new updates. There's no shadow betting, no suppression of conservative thought. Snippy.com, again, Snippy.com.